How many of you have ever run out of gas? Be honest. Don't be shy. There's more of us. How many of you have been running on fumes? Yes. Okay. Now, we've got some really smart cars today that, uh, like one of our vehicles, um, the little orange gas tank light comes on and ding, running out of gas. Then a little bit later, there's a line that's showing closer and closer to E. That eventually will turn red and another little ding. And then eventually that red line starts blinking going emergency, okay? But remember back in the day, some of these cars that um, had the old gas gauge like this, and even if you hit a big enough bump, you could even see the little needle go whoop, 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 whoop. Remember that? Because the gas is sloshing around in the tank. Well, when I was a kid, we were on a road trip as a family. I was probably middle elementary, somewhere in there, I think, if I remember correctly. And I'm in the back seat of the car, and I... We're heading from New Mexico up to uh, Idaho and... Oh, uh, yes, Lord. <laughs> Running from New Mexico all the way up to like Idaho and um, Portland, Oregon and things like that where we had family. And we're driving through Utah and I start to sense this tension in the front seat. And you know the tension of, oh my goodness, it's on E, we're on the highway, what are we going to do? And so exit after exit on the interstate going through Provo, Utah, there is no sign that says gas this exit. Another exit, we're going to run out. Another exit, there's no gas. So finally we just take an exit and we head off into the neighborhoods of Provo. You know, this is before Siri because, you know, you can't find the nearest gas station. So... We're just randomly turned, this looks like a good road, and we go this way, and then we go this way, and it took us forever. Somehow we did not run out of gas. We got gas in a neighborhood that resembled nothing like what I grew up in. It was a little, yeah, and we somehow found the interstate back, and we headed back on our road, and now, probably even to this day, every once in a while, a joke about, well, let's not have another Provo experience comes up between my parents. And, you know, Provo, Utah just represents running out of gas. Do we think about faith in terms of a gas tank? That sometimes we feel like our gas tank is full. Sometimes we feel like we're running on fumes. We're running on empty. Do we think about faith in terms of, like, we have a gas tank of faith? And when trouble comes our way, well, we're just kind of, we're just kind of burning faith and the tank's getting emptier and emptier and we got we to gotta find faith from somewhere. How are we going to do this? And is our faith really like a gas tank? The passage that we're in today, we're continuing in Mark chapter 9, is really one of my favorite parts of the Gospels. And what we're seeing in this passage is that, you know, last week we talked about the transfiguration, that Jesus, Peter, James, and John went up on the mountain and they, I mean, the, the cloud of heaven descended around them. The presence of heaven was there. Moses and Elijah showed up. Jesus has this little chat with them because in, I think it's in Philippians, it says that Jesus set aside his claim to glory to become like us. And so he set aside all of that heaven so that he could come to earth. And now here he is on a mountaintop getting a taste of home. I mean, over the pandemic, we've kind of got suckered back into Survivor. 
Anybody watch Survivor on TV? You can admit that too. It's okay. <laughs> we didn't really connect with it years ago, and then suddenly, thank you, Netflix. We've watched a few seasons as of late. But in the game of Survivor, the contestants are competing for immunity. They don't want to be voted off of the island. But there's another competition. They call them reward challenges. And they compete. And the winner of this, either this team or these individuals have the opportunity to step away from the competition. And they're taken out of, I mean, basically for 39 days, they're asked to live on rice they may only get a handful of rice a day. They can fish if they're able. One season they had chickens that they were chasing. They don't have much. They're stranded with strangers in this game fighting for dominance, not to get voted off so they can get a million dollars. But then a reward challenge comes up, and if they win, they get to step out. They get to step out of the game and taste home again. If you look closely, I think Applebee's sponsored this episode because uh, there's a cup of Applebee's cup there. So they get the drinks, they get the dessert, they get the steaks, the burgers, the ice cream. One of my favorite rewards that I got to see was uh, they got in a helicopter, they flew them to the top of an active volcano, and they had a cookout, a picnic on the rim of an active volcano. I'm like, oh my goodness, how incredible is that? And in the midst of this game, they are refueled. It's like their tanks went from eating a handful of rice for the last week to I just had three steaks and I am good to go. And so they come back to the game, they come back to the island, and the rest of the contestants are grumpy. If there's ever a word for hangry, this is it. Because some of these times, they even have to watch them. They have to watch them eat pizza right in front of them. And that's just how the game goes. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they're coming off of that reward challenge. They're coming down from the mountain just full of life. And we're going to pick up in verse 14 of Mark 9 and see what they encounter as they come back down the mountain. Verse 14, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. They're coming off the reward challenge after being in the presence of heaven. And the disciples and the leaders of the law are arguing in public. They're making a big old fat scene of griping with each other. And here Jesus, Peter, James, and John are just like, oh my goodness. This is what we're coming back to. They're arguing. These are the leaders arguing in public. In verse 15, that the crowd saw Jesus and they were overwhelmed with awe. And they ran to greet him. And Jesus confronts them and he says, what is all this arguing about? But before Jesus can receive an answer, one of the men in the crowd spoke up. And he said, teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground and then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I came and I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And then I love Jesus' response. Oh, you faithless people. How long do I have to be with you? How long do I have to put up with this? Bring the boy to me. In the, this is snarky Jesus right here, right? Right? 
Jesus is getting a little snarky going, I am so, I'm just frustrated, I'm exasperated, I'm fed up. I just was in the presence of heaven once again, talking with God, my Father, and this is what I return to. How many of you have uh, had the honor and privilege of raising teenagers? Or even preteens, or even toddlers, for goodness sake. How many times have you ever walked in the kitchen, you turn the corner, and there's your teenager arguing with the other teenager, who's supposed to wash, who's supposed to clean, it wasn't clean good enough, you know, who's supposed to put away. There's this, this argument ensuing, and you walk in, and you're like, oh my goodness, just give me the sponge and get out. That's where Jesus is at. And I love this, that our theology, we believe that Jesus was 100% God. And yet at the same time, he became 100% man. And there are traditions that say the man part is fake, that that really didn't happen. He really was just God, and, and he really wasn't man. He wasn't quite tempted the way we were. But I think this proves that Jesus was tempted just like us. And in his frustration, thankfully, we see that he doesn't sin. And I think it's a beautiful picture of Jesus' humanity. But why is he frustrated? He comes down off the mountain, and the first interaction is with a man who's telling him his problems. I just saw heaven, and you're bringing me your problem? Really? Can I just have a couple more minutes to, to wait, to bask in this? Is that what Jesus is frustrated about? Or is he frustrated that when he came down the mountain, here are the leaders of the religious order of the day not getting it still? Even after months and years of teaching and signs and wonders and miracles, they still don't get who Jesus is. And then here's the disciples who get it, and they're just arguing. They're butting heads in public. And I think Jesus is truly frustrated over the disciples. And the display of their lack of faith. Because Jesus is not frustrated by our problems. He has compassion on our problems, as we're going to see here in a moment. He is frustrated by our absence of faith. And when we say absence of faith, I want, I want us to understand, going back to the gas gauge, that our, our gas tank of faith, absence of faith is not a measurement of our faith, how much we have or we don't have. We're going to talk more about that here in a minute. But I want you to understand that absence is not about a measurement of faith. Moving on in verse 20, says that they brought the boy to Jesus. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, Jesus didn't even have to say a thing. When it saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus moved with compassion. How long has this been happening? And the boy's father replied that since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, and it's trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Jesus is moved with compassion. He's not some disconnected deity, or um, think about the TV show House. Have you all ever seen that? Dr. Gregory House, MD. He has clear disdain for his patients. He doesn't care about them. It's a puzzle. It's a problem he's trying to solve. That is not Jesus. He is more interested in who we are and he has compassion on the dad. 
Because this isn't just a kid with a case of epilepsy. We have a little girl in our home who has epileptic seizures multiple times a day. But never have we sensed a malicious spirit that's throwing her into fire or throwing her into lakes, trying to kill her. There is something extra going on in this story that is malicious. This demon wants to ruin the image of God in this little boy. Can you imagine the roller coaster of faith that the dad is on? He had faith in Jesus, so he brought his son, and he, he's like, if I can just get to Jesus, my son could find freedom. He can't find Jesus because he's up on the mountaintop, but he sees his disciples, and the disciples have cast out demons before, so I'll, I'll go to them. And in faith he goes, but the disciples can't do it. It doesn't say why, but they're unable to cast out this demon. And the dad has had doubts creep in. His faith has taken a hit. And right here in this last verse we read, he says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. The word if creeps in to the father's faith. In verse 23, we see another beautiful response of Jesus. What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Jesus is basically saying, if I can, what? you just sit down. Watch what I'm going to do. Because Jesus is saying in this moment, the question, the, the balance is not about my power and if I can do anything. The balance is whether or not you believe. Because it says if anything is, anything is possible, if a person believes... That the weight of this moment is not depending on God's power. It's depending on our ability to believe. And verse 24 says, the father cries out instantly, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That initial faith that the dad had had gone through a roller coaster of faith. It had ebbed and flowed. It had come and gone. The, the doubts had crept in and his faith had taken a hit. And now he is face to face with Jesus saying, I do believe. Help me to overcome these beliefs, these, my unbelief. Have you ever come to the end of your rope? That a crisis has hit Something has taken place. Life just sucks sometimes. And we get to that faith where we're going, I don't, if, I don't know, God, if you're there, if you can do anything, please help me. Doubts creep in and our faith takes a hit and crisis just doesn't let us, let us alone sometimes. And we saw a huge example right here in our own backyard this week. Our hearts go out to those at FedEx and those who, have, we, we have friends in New Hope that know one of the victims. It has hit so close to home that crisis happens. It's not just, it's not fair, it just happens because we live in a sinful, fallen world. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody who you thought you could trust, but they just kept stabbing you in the back and making life rough. And oftentimes the advice we receive is, you know, just hang in there. If you could just have a little more faith. 
That is not how Jesus responds in this situation. Jesus is not looking at the dad saying, just have a little more faith. Like, you know, dig some off the bottom of the barrel. It's, it's down there. You just got to reach for it. You got to try harder. As Matthew and Luke in their gospels also tell this story. And in the, in the Matthew gospel in chapter 17 is where we hear the language of the mustard seed. That Jesus is saying that, I tell you the truth, that even if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, the one that I was just on, you could say to this mountain, move over there, and it would happen. Because nothing would be impossible. So the absence of our faith does not mean the measurement of faith. Because Jesus is saying, I don't care if your faith tank is on empty. It's the size of a mustard seed, the smallest usable seed that the Jewish people knew about. I don't care if it's that small. If you truly believe, you can move mountains. And the father is looking at his son saying, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Because I think that we, we all have a huge amount of faith. That it's not that our tank is empty or full, it's, you know, and our faith ebbs and flows and comes and goes. I think our faith is present. We just tend to put it other places. We hedge our bets, we distribute our faith that maybe, you know, this one friend has been really great to me for years, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on them during this time of trouble. Or maybe it's my family, maybe it's, you know, look how successful I've been in life. I mean, I've got a nest egg, I've got a retirement, I've I don't need to work. I'm good. I can trust in myself. It's like the old shell game. And I wish I could have learned how to do this. (laughs) That'd be really cool. You know, you put cups down or shells and and maybe one cup represents Jesus and one cup represents um, yourself and maybe another cup represents other people. And you take your faith and you put it under the cup of Jesus, but then life comes and it all gets mixed up and everything just, you know, convoluted and life is hard. And you're in this crisis and you pick up your cup of Jesus and you realize that your faith isn't there anymore because, you know, in the magic act, slide a hand, it gets moved to another shell or something like that. And we find that the faith that we put in Jesus once upon a time, we've distributed elsewhere. We've put our faith in other things. And so the absence of faith is not a lack of measure. It's not about whether the tank is empty or full. It's where are you putting your faith? Is your focus of faith on the right thing? When Jesus came down that mountain, on top of the world from that reward challenge, his frustration was over their lack of focus in their faith. It wasn't because the disciples, their faith had dwindled and it was empty and they just, you know. No, they were looking other places. What matters truly is where we place the little amount of faith that we do have. So where is the focus of your faith? Where is the focus of your faith? Because Jesus is more, or he's less concerned about how much faith we have, and he's more concerned about where we are placing our faith, where our focus is. So where is the focus of your faith? Doubts creep in. Our faith takes a hit and we tend to distribute our faith to places that it doesn't need to be. 
See, true faith does not mean the absence of doubt. That if we truly have faith, we will never have any more doubt. I don't think that's how faith works. See, I don't understand how God created this earth. I don't get it. I believe it. Seven days, young earth, old earth, I, I don't know. How did God split the Red Sea with, for Moses and the Israelites to cross over? I don't know. How did the earth stand still for 24 hours? Or the sun stand still? I don't know. How did a few fish and a few loaves feed thousands? I don't know. How did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? I mean, there's, there's evidence that you know, within moments of death, we can revive people, you know, clear, and people come back to life. But that's not the same thing. Lazarus was dead for three days. Jesus raised himself. How does any of that occur? My doubt, when my doubts rise, that's where my faith takes over. And faith is the fulfillment of our doubts. It helps us cross that finish line of belief, saying, I don't understand how this works, God, but I trust and I believe that it was you. And I look forward to hearing the mystery someday. Faith does not eradicate doubt. Doubts will still be. But do we turn to Jesus? Do we put our faith, focus our faith in him in that moment. Moving on in verse 25 and 26, when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and he left him. The boy appeared to be dead. And a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. Imagine the father on that roller coaster of faith. He came into the situation with faith. The disciples couldn't do it, so his faith wavers. And, well, Jesus says, if you just believe, yes, I believe. You know, and then Jesus commands that demon out of the boy. And he sees the victory. He sees the freedom that the demon has left his son He's dead. He's dead. Everybody else is saying, did he die? I thought this was the victory I was looking for. Do we ever have setbacks in our faith like that? That there's something that we've yearned for, that we've worked for, that we've prayed for, that we've studied for, and we've asked Jesus, help me to get over this, this obstacle of faith in my life. And finally, we get to cross that bridge and we let our guard down. And Satan is a genius. He knows exactly when to hit us. And hours later, a couple days later, we thought we had victory and now we're right back where we started. We have setbacks to our faith. Just like the dad thought that his boy was dead. And I'm sure the dad stood there thinking, knew it. I knew it. I didn't have enough faith. Verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. And afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? 
And Jesus replied, this, can, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. This verse has been taken, I think, way out of context in a lot of ways in our culture. Hollywood has made movies about exorcisms, and you just see people fervently louder and louder praying and praying and praying, and then the demon gets cast out in the movie, and everybody's exhausted. Or you see cultures of worship in our, in our day where songs, rise, you know, songs last forever and this more and more and more and more emotion and yay, and then we all just kind of go home and we don't live any different than we did before. It's not up to us in that moment of manufacturing a response of faith. It's too late at that point, honestly. That it's not about our actions. Because Jesus said, this kind can't come out except by prayer. But did Jesus stop and pray before he commanded the demon out? He went right to the demon and he said, get out and never come back. So what is Jesus really saying right here? Our faith is cultivated over time between the crises of life. Just like Chrissy talked about in our Kidmen moment earlier, that our faith is like the plant. There's roots in the soil, and we have to tend the soil, water the plant. We have to take care of that relationship with Jesus so that our faith is cultivated, meaning we're putting our faith in the right, under the right cup. We're putting our faith, we're focusing our faith in the right direction. Because when the crisis comes, it's too late. Cultivating and growing our faith in Jesus can happen. But it has to be an ongoing relationship day after day, week after week. Prayer, Jesus mentions it right here. Prayer is a symbol of that relationship with God. It's us talking to God day after day, moment by moment, sometimes formally, sometimes informally. The prayer, being in God's word, Living in community with other believers. Living on mission. Actually being the hands and feet of Jesus in our community, in our world. Putting to practice God's word. All of those things cultivate our faith in Jesus. It's a friendship. As we invest in that friendship, we learn to trust more and more. And so our gas gauge of faith sort of goes up because we're putting our faith in Jesus. We're focusing it in the right person, the right direction. So we need to focus our faith in Jesus by cultivating our relationship with Jesus. Wrestling with doubt, wrestling with our faith is very natural. It's a part of being a Christian. It's a part of being human in this world. It's very natural. And if you are sitting here this morning coming in on the back end of a crisis or you feel a crisis coming up or you know that there is something that is really going to test the focus of my faith, lean into God's word today. This truth that we've been talking about this morning can redefine our lives. That we have the faith We have the faith. Are we putting it in the right place? Because Jesus is not threatened by our problems. 
He is compassionate to what we are going through. He is not offended by our doubts. And Jesus is less concerned about the amount of your faith. And he's more concerned about the focus of your faith. So where is your faith?